today. We're continuing our series, uh, which again, it follows our reading plan and our discipleship plan of HeartStrong. So again, I'm going to remind you all the time, if you're not a part of HeartStrong, please just, we invite you into that moment. And just in some way, take one step to walk with us as we continue to move forward with God. Even if it's just the reading plan and you're tracking with us as we read through scripture over the next three years, that alone will help you feel like you're connected with what we're doing. And you can find all of that on our website, our, our, where you can find our reading plans and everything like that if you want to know more about that. And where we are today, what we're looking at today is found in John 15, which is in this, uh, this week's uh, readings. And where we find this in John 15, it's in the middle, uh, it's a part of John's gospel, obviously, uh, and Jesus is having this really long conversation. And he has it with the disciples right before his arrest and crucifixion. And to kind of set the scene of what's going on during this time, what's happening at this moment when he's having this big, long conversation. Jesus has already washed the disciples' feet. He's gotten down on his hands and knees with, his, with a cloth around his waist. He's put a bowl down. And as they've gone there, he's watched each and every disciple's feet using a part of his clothing to dry them off before they have their meal, including Judas's, the man that already in his heart was set to betray him. He had already forecasted and told Peter he was going to deny him. That Peter was going to turn his back on Jesus three times. He'd already done this in this conversation. He'd already promised them that the Holy Spirit would come, that he needed to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. And it was actually better that he left because the Holy Spirit would be in them rather than Jesus being just with them in that way. And he's now sharing with them precious encouragement and instruction and how they are to continue to thrive after he is left. And the portion that we're looking at, the message has both a, a sharp warning for us as disciples and specifically for in that moment for his disciples then. And it may be uncomfortable for some of us to hear what Jesus is about to say because it directly uh, may contradict what we have believed about God. So let's dive into what John says. And we're going to read from the beginning of John chapter 15, verse 1 through to 11. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along. It'll be on the screens as well. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And if we pause right there, he's speaking to what had already happened when he, when he washed the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, Jesus, don't just wash my feet. Wash everything about me because I want to be totally clean in you. And Jesus said in that moment, he said, Peter, Peter, you don't need that. You just, need to, you just need the washing of your feet because the rest of you is clean. And he was talking about the spiritual condition of Peter. Because Peter was like, man, I want to be totally clean. And he's like, you already are. You already believe in me as your savior. You already have that. All you need to do is wash your feet. 
It's just the continual coming to Jesus with the things that we need to repent of. Not all of you need to be clean. It's like saying, Peter, you don't need to give your life to me every single Sunday. You don't need to continue every single altar call. You don't need to see Jesus, I give my life to you. You've done that. What you need to do is say, Jesus, here's where I've let you down. And I need to repent of that. And I need to continue to step forward with you. That's what he's saying. And that's what he's saying to them there. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you have believed that. And then he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you desire to abide in us. That at no point in our following you do you expect us to do it alone. Do you expect us to do this in our own strength? Do you expect us to produce something that you are not supplying us the means to do so. So God, I just pray that we, both individually and as a congregation, that we would hear your word today, apply it to our lives, learn how we can continue to abide in you to bear much fruit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Can it be any better than being full of joy that we receive in Jesus. Just think of that, being full of the joy from Jesus. Now, when you think of that, I would also say it's good for us to remember what Jesus found, full, found joy in doing, fulfilling the will of his Father. The joy that we can access comes from something easy to say and hard to do. Obey his commands. Imagine, as you live, your overwhelming condition is one where you can't contain any more joy and it overflows from you. It goes over the brim and spills over you. That's amazing, isn't it? That's so beautiful. And for Jesus, his disciples in that moment to understand and live that out, he uses the context of vines and fruit and how they are pruned as a metaphor for how they can live in Christ. And so for us as well. 
And this is where we take heed, though, because Jesus seems to make a direct connection between our abiding in him and how God, as the vine dresser, sees us. There may have been an initial budding and growth in a branch forming into that vine, but if the branch does not produce fruit, it is cut off. This is where a limited view of what salvation looks like comes into play, where we put our faith in Christ initially, but coast on that decision. We believe it, it was a one-time moment where I said, I needed to put my faith in Jesus. And early in our faith, we go like, God, I made that call. I said, yeah, I want you as my Lord and Savior. And then we just live our life. We just walk through our life knowing we made that decision back then. But our every day after that, we don't continually live in that moment of saying, Christ, you have it all. We just walk through life and we become a cultural Christian. We're on the outside. Yeah, well, sure, we come to church. We sit in the pew. We listen. Maybe we volunteer. Maybe we participate in what goes on on a Sunday service. But the everyday living of what we're supposed to do, of dying to self, being found living only in Christ, that's not a part of our lives. And in reality, what Jesus is saying here is that a cultural Christian is no Christian at all. Because if we're attached to the vine, the lifeblood of that vine flows into that branch and it can do nothing else but produce fruit. He's saying that we, we may be attached to that vine, similar to like when he said the parable of the, the sower where the seeds are thrown and some falls on good soil and some falls on rocky soil, some falls on, on hard packed soil. There's a reception of the gospel, but it doesn't take there's something in our lives that is blocking it from bringing us that lifeblood that we need in Christ. And it dies inside of us. And that's a branch that the vine dresser comes along and says, you know, fruit here. I need to cut this branch off. It's not working in the vine. But I want you to hear something. I want you to hear something that you should not you should not be fearing necessarily for your salvation today. There's a most confident assurance that Christ is in our lives, his presence is in us, and that we have salvation in him. You can feel his presence closely to you every single day. You do not need to go, oh my goodness, am I doing enough for him in order to prove that I am in the vine? You don't need to do that. A life fully submitted to him will result in the fruit. Your only place is to say, God, I'm yours. I am yours. Do with me what you will. And you have full assurance that God will hear you and do in you what he wants to do. But I must warn you, though, that if you consistently live a life with no desire to see Christ have complete control of your life, you run risk of being a branch that is cut off. But it is never God's heart to do so. It is never his heart to cut off a branch. So much so that even when we're hurting, when we're broken, when we're struggling, when a branch, we're a branch that's not really producing fruit. And if you think of a vine, because that's really what he's talking about is a vine that produces grapes. Right? You think of a vine, if you went to the store and you found a box of grapes in there and it had a little, a little vine there and it had 
little gross grapes, right? You know, you've all got them, right? You, where you get a nice big bag of grapes or a box of grapes and most of them are really good. And then there's that one twig and every grape on it is bad. It's horrible. It looks okay-ish, but when you, as soon as you touch it, you can feel like, oh, that's not going to be a good one. You know, and maybe by accident you had grabbed a few and put it in your mouth and you just taste it and you're like, oh, the fruit, it's fruit, but it's not the greatest fruit. Even when that's the condition of our hearts and our lives, Jesus didn't go, okay, let's just cut that one off. The very thing that God wants to do is he caught, when he says he prunes it, he lifts it, he cleans it, whatever is going on in that vine's life that needs to be fixed to help it produce good fruit, that's his first action, is to go, how do I help you produce good fruit? What's going on in the life of this branch that's not allowing it to produce good fruit? I'm going to prune there to bring back vitality. It's why we see in Psalm 119, it's speaking so much of the discipline of God, the character of God, the nature of God, and how it's found in obeying God that we too can access that. And we hear Jesus echoing those same words for his disciples to fall in love with discipline to fall in love with obeying christ there's an abiding in christ being found in him living in the purposes of god as fully as we can and in doing so our heavenly father he'll lovingly call us deeper He'll call us to draw even more life from Christ. And here's the thing. It often sounds so different than we think it will. His pruning cuts from our lives that deplete our ability to produce fruit. The things in our lives that are sucking the life out of us, that are not allowing fruit to be produced in us, he looks at that and goes like, that's going to need to be cut out. That's going to need to be cut off. And it's when we submit ourselves to him and allow him to do so that we could grow. And the thing is, it's done in such love, with such intention and foresight. It's nothing that we would necessarily say, hey, I think I know what I need to do to remedy the situation. But Christ does. He knows exactly what's ailing you. He knows exactly what steps need to be taken for you to fully be in his presence, to fully bloom and produce fruit. The theologian Tom Wright said it this way, the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when they have their knife in their hand. How much we could grow if we could learn to love the pruning of our Father. How much growth, life, and joy that we could have fullness of if we allowed his wise leading. Today, what is the Holy Spirit pruning in your life? Have you seen it through the lens of joy? Have you seen his pruning as a joyful experience? Or have you seen it as a painful and hurting one that doesn't help you move forward because it cuts out from your life the things and the habits and the places or whatever that you've gone to outside of Christ? What we instead see in culture and sometimes in our lives 
is a specific focus inward. And the reason why we as branches may not bloom and, and produce fruit the way we think we should is because we're focused on the inside of ourselves. We're focused on filling us. And it comes out as like, even it sounds good, right? Know thyself. It sounds like live your truth. It sounds like if it feels good, it can't be that bad. Where we live off of that place. And the growth and happiness that you feed, uh, you fill off of that, that inner self. But the challenge of that is this, that inward growth like that is not the same as inside out growth. Because the inner growth like that is focused on self. But inside out focuses on God, who transforms us from the inside out. Going, listen, the branch is here and it's great and all, but the branch is here to produce fruit. And if I don't do what's needed to be done for the branch to produce fruit, the branch is not doing what it's supposed to do. God's focus on us is for the inside out work to happen, not just for inside. It's not just inside of us that God wants to see something happen. And when we focus on that, we end up just going, I want what's best for me. I want what's best for me. This type of Christianity works good for me. It keeps me comfortable and happy in the place that I'm in. And it seems manageable for me. It doesn't disrupt what I want to do in life too much. So it's good. This is good for me. And I can fill myself this way rather than allowing God to say, listen, I need to prune some things because what I'm looking for in your life is fruit. I'm looking for fruit in your life. That's what I need to see. This transformation comes from something that we talked about in Strong. Because Jesus had once said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That first rest we find there, the guys will they'll, they'll know this because I talked to them about it. That first rest we find there is our salvation. Where he says, come to me and you will find rest. If you're heavy laden and you're burdened, just come to me and find rest. Take off those burdens and leave them at the foot of the cross and find rest in me. But notice how we find our second rest in that passage. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then you will find rest for your souls. There's an initial rest we find in saying, God, I need to give you everything that I am. I need to lay it all at the foot of the cross. The good, the bad, and the ugly, I give it to you so I can be made new. And if you've been saved, if you know, you know that moment where you gave it to Christ and he lifted your soul, and you found rest and you're just like, oh, I don't feel that struggle anymore. I don't feel that yearning for something that I don't understand. I found it in Jesus. But then he says, now hitch up to me. Now hitch up to me. We're going to be a pair. Like back in the old days where you see two ox together, two horses together, yoked together to plow the field to do what? Produce fruit produce a yield, a harvest from them. Jesus says, you're not going to do this alone. 
You're going to be paired with me and we're going to go through the fields plowing them so we can produce a harvest from your life. But it's going to be easy because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The yoke is easy because it's, it's cared for by the Father, lovingly lifting and pruning us so we can carry it well, helping us to fit into the yoke well because he prunes off of us what is making that yoke uncomfortable. What's making us want to take it off and go like, ah, I don't really like that yoke. I like the idea of my freedom in Christ. I like the idea of being like light and fresh in him in that, that salvation moment. But all this stuff, man, that's, that's not comfortable. I just want to take that yoke off for a bit and just go here. In the early church, that yoke of abiding in him and learning the disciplines of following him was often called something like the daily office or a rule of life, the structure of life. And here's the thing, none of us have to develop a rule of life. You already, ha you already have one. Your default of what do you do, whatever you do in life is your rule of life. You just, we all have a rule of life. This is how I live my life daily. I get up and I do this and I do this and I do this. And your rule of life is going to be what you do every day, no matter what. The challenge is, does your rule of life lead you to the life that Christ has for you? Does it lead you to the joy that Jesus talked about? Does it lead you to the fullness of God in you? As we build rules of life for us, and that, we'll, we'll get to what I'm talking about there in a minute. There's both, there's elements of doing and being when we talk about a rule of life. Here's me being centered in Christ. Here's me saying, God, Today, all I want to do is be found in you. Christ, I want to be abiding in you. I want you to just flow out of me so much that there's, there's this mesh of who we are, that Christ, you're living in me today. That's just being. That's just saying, God, may my life totally reflect you. But then when we step out, it turns into doing, doesn't it? It turns into how do I treat my wife when, when, when we have a disagreement? It turns into how do, I, how do I talk to my kids and how do I instruct them? It turns into how do I treat people that I run into? How do I treat my bosses or my coworkers? It turns into all these different things, a doing. It turns into all the actions that Christ says to me and the Holy Spirit says to me, and he says, Jeff, you need to do this. You need to sacrifice this. You need to lay down this. There's both a being and a doing aspect to the rule of life that we live out. But there's also different layers that it plays out. There's a private and communal layer that happens. So layer one is this, that we need to cultivate a private, personal relationship with Jesus. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? What does your testimony look like? What does it look like for you to talk about how you came to Jesus? Whether you're like me and you're like generationally following Jesus and you have a rich history of having grandparents and then parents and then yourselves and now my kids following Jesus. Is that your testimony of God's goodness in your life? that he has led your family through multiple generations, that's a powerful testimony of the sustaining power of Christ. 
Or is your testimony one of like, I've hit rock bottom so many times, I didn't know there was another bottom to go to. And yet Christ has lifted me from that. Because that's a powerful testimony too. I want to be honest with you. I don't want that testimony. I don't want that testimony of having been broken in my spirit so much by my vices that I don't see light when I look up. I don't want that. I love my testimony of being safe and secure in God's presence throughout my life. And I want that for my children and for their children and their children to say, we have not known anything but following Jesus because of his, his security that we found in him. But both are testimonies. Can you share your testimony? Do you know your testimony? How about your spiritual gifts? Are you, are you walking with God to know how he has gifted you? Because he says to the church, each person in the church, each member of the body of Christ has been gifted for the body of Christ to be able to be lifted up and to produce the fruit God has intended for it. Do you know how God has spiritually gifted you? What season of life do you find yourself in? What's going on in your life and how are you applying God's wisdom and God's word to your season of life? How lopsided are you? Are you stuck in just being? Were you just like, all I'm going to do is be with Jesus. All I'm going to do is be with Jesus. And you don't do all that much. Or maybe you're stuck in doing and saying, God, I got to do all this stuff for you. And I'm going to be so busy doing stuff for you that I have no idea of the condition of my heart. I have no idea what it looks like in my heart. Because I'm so busy doing things for you, I can't, I can't even go there. I'm faithful to you. I'm going to be a good soldier for you. But don't ask me to talk about my feelings. Don't ask me to talk about the wrestles of my heart. Because I, I, I can't even go there. Because I'm stuck in doing. Are you lopsided in that? Do you need to find more balance there? Are there active strongholds in your life? Are there places where you don't let God go? Where you say, God, you can, you can, you can work on me in all sorts of places, but don't touch there. Don't touch that. That is so fragile. There's a pin in that grenade and it's about to blow up and I don't want you to go there at all because I don't know what I can do with that mess. Is there something that you need to give over to him? Is there family history that's causing you to have trouble in following Jesus? Is there patterns in your family or learned behaviors that you've grown over the years that you look at and go, man, this is so hard for me to let go of this to step into what God has for me? What about the culture that you grew up in? What about the culture that, that, you, that formed your ideas of what the world looks like? And then you've translated that into what the kingdom of God looks like. For me, I come from a, a Dutch heritage where everything was like, all the men were stoic, didn't talk, didn't express feelings, nothing, right? That's just how we, how we lived. That's how my, my dad lives. That's how his parents lived. I'd go to visit my grandparents and they would just sat there, maybe smoked their pipe, went for a walk on the property, pat me on the head. And that was, that was my relationship with my grandparents. On the weekend, Pastor Mitch was talking about his two grandfathers and how they were pillars in his life growing up, how they would go to his hockey games and how they would be there to support him and teach him things. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
I think I heard the same 10 words from my grandparents on every single visit. Hi, how are you? You're growing. And that's it. That's my heritage. I can apply that to the kingdom of God and say, that's what we should look like. We're here together. We're communing together, but let's not get personal. I have to break down those things for my family and for this kingdom of God reality. I have to not let my family heritage, my cultural heritage impact the way that God says, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. I need to reframe it and God go, who are you? What is your nature? What does the culture of God look like? I have to step in and learn that because that's what I'm a part of now. That's what I've been adopted into. Do you intentionally seek to offer Christ all of you so that you can abide in him? Is there a daily pattern in your life in Christ? Is there, is there rituals that you do daily basis that allow you to step into the presence of Christ and reset yourself for each day so that you can walk in Christ? To live our truest purpose in him, to have a life full of joy, we must abide in God's love and keep his commandments. And the thing is, we must live with other Christians in faith, alongside them. There's this rub when we abide together though, isn't there? It's one thing to abide with Christ and feel the rub there of his yoke and go, ooh, that's not comfortable. I got to work on that one, you know. But there's another rub when we, we, we come up against another follower of Jesus and they're following Jesus is in, in not at the same place as ours or it looks different. And there's a rub of how our lives intersect there that pushes on us and grates us. And we need to figure out how it is that we can walk together, love each other and prove to be his disciples. The second layer is to remain in a community which knows and loves Jesus as Lord. In John 15, 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When he's saying that, he's not talking to one individual at a time. He didn't say, all right, we're going to have a team meeting, but we're going to have like, you know, our yearly, like, you know, staff reviews. And the disciples, you know, like, hey, I'm going to go away for a while, but so I'm going to pull you in one by one and talk about what you need to do. He's talking to the whole group of disciples saying, you need to prove to be my disciples. This fruit needs to be evident in your life. We are a community of disciples, not a single follower of Christ. So we need to figure this out as a community. How do we both individually bear fruit in ways that only God can have you bear fruit? You're going to go to places, live your life in ways that I could never do, in ways that I or the rest of the church could never impact the kingdom of God. So how do you bear fruit in those individual places? But then how do we corporately bear fruit as God has called us to in this community? How do we bear fruit here and how we deal with each other and how we work things out? How do we do so in a way that loves God? There's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. There's no way you can do it. There's not intended to do it. You're not supposed to live that way. We're supposed to be doing this as a community. That's why Jesus or, or, or Paul would talk about us being the body of Christ and that we all come together to form the body. 
trying to live it out on your own, be all by yourself and say, it's fine, I can do it on my own. I can do this on my own. I don't need the, to gather together or to participate in that way. That's not how it works. That's not how God's called us to live. And if you want to get to, if you want to see what heaven's going to look like, it's going to be a crowded place of people living together, worshiping Jesus. The whole idea of being off by yourself is not going to be what it looks like in heaven. So prepare yourself here now for what it looks like to be living with each other. And we do this by rooting our entire lives in cultivating that personal, private relationship with Jesus and being a part of the local church. Because in both of those experiences, God's going to prune. He's going to prune so that your outward uh, life, the direction of your life is being more like Jesus. It's producing fruit that lasts. It's producing fruit that makes a difference. It's, it's grafting you into that vine that says, I'm a part of something bigger than I am. God has chosen to be, the, for Christ to be the, the vine and for us to be the branches that bear the fruit. He's chosen to partner with us to bear that fruit. You don't see the main vine stem producing the fruit itself, do you? It has to be on the branches. God has willfully chosen to be a part with us to say, I am with you in this. You are in me and I am in you. And that's how we're going to produce fruit together. We do this with him in that way. Let me tell you, there's going to be pain. There is pain in pruning. It's not easy to be pruned, but God only prunes for that sole purpose of your joy being full. Because we take our lead from the one who saw the joy set before him. And you know what he did with that, right? He saw the joy that would happen when he was obedient to his father. When he said, he saw what his father's plan was and was like, I'm in this for the long haul. I see what's coming when I head towards Jerusalem. I see the betrayal that's going to happen from one of my own. I see the hate in the Pharisees in the eyes. I see the hate in the priest's eyes when they want to see me die at any cost. When they will reject their own faith in order to see me die. I see the sin of the world and I'm in. I counted a joy to step into that because of what it will bring about. We take our lead from that. The joy set before you will call you to endure some things. But the precious presence of Jesus in our abiding is more than enough. So you can live your life growing inward with a focus on yourself. Or you can live growing outward with a focus on God and others. You get to choose. And you also get to deal with the consequences of those choices. What we don't choose, though, is how much God loves us. John 15, 16, he would say to them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. 
you are in Christ. If you are saved, you are in Christ. That's your first rest. But your second rest, what he's choosing you for, is to abide in him and walk with him, learn his ways, obey his commands, that you should bear fruit. You are appointed to bear fruit. Today, know that you are loved. Know that you are chosen. Know that you are appointed to bear fruit and to abide in Christ. Let God do the work needed to see that happen in your life. And if you're going to add in something to your, your daily office or that walk, remember that we're reading John 12 to 21 this week. We're practicing Sabbath in this season. And there's multiple ways for you to get involved in groups like our men's group tomorrow night. We invite you all men, join with us as we allow God to prune us, lead us, guide us so that we can bear fruit. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that we've been grafted into this vine that you are, God. God, that you saw fit to make sure that we could hear your gospel, the good news of who you are and what you've done for us. Upon confession of our faith, we are grafted into this vine and your life flows through us. We find rest in you, life in you, God. But God, also may we find ourselves yoked to you. We may, may we find ourselves abiding with you, learning what it looks like to follow what your Father has commanded us to do what your Father has asked us to do in obedience. God, may we find joy so full in our lives, the fullness of God in us as we allow that life to be drawn into us by living in you, God. God, I thank you that you prune in my life the things that stop me from producing the fruit that you have appointed me to approve. To produce. God, that you prune away the things that distract me, that cause me to, to fall or stumble. You prune away the things that, that, uh, that I may want to focus on that aren't of you so that I can produce much fruit in you. God, I pray for all of us this morning that we would allow you to do the same thing, that we would step into that, that place where we say, God, we're yours to prune. Find what needs to be pruned in my life and cut it off so that I can flourish in you. My joy may be full in you and that I experience the fullness of God. God, we're so, we're so thankful that you are faithful to do so. You are faithful to do so lovingly want to do so with us. We thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your